You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah chapter 8 in your Bibles, and I uh, would like to continue our series And we'll pick up in verse number one. We covered chapter seven last week. And I'm sure we won't get through all of chapter eight today, but I'd like to make some progress. So we'll see how it goes. It says in verse number one, at that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of his princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served and after whom they have walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain of this evil family which remain in all the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Verse 5 is a very good question that was asked, and I think it's still a good question today. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Every one turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. How do ye say we are wise And the law of the Lord is with us. Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look at your word, speak to us and challenge us. I thank you for the privilege we have to be in church. Lord, I thank you for Brother and Mrs. Brown being with us tonight. I thank you for the a blessing, of course, they've been to me and the impact they've had on my life and my wife. But Lord, I thank you also for the blessing they've been to our church. I thank you for uh, their faithfulness. I thank you for uh, the blessing they are around the country. I pray you'd bless them as they travel. And Brother Brown, as he preaches, I pray you'd keep your hand upon him. Lord, I pray that you would bless our church and use us for your honor and glory. Lord, as we study your word, Lord, may we not just look at your word and think that this would be something good for somebody else to hear, but I pray we would each examine our own hearts. And Lord, I pray you'd show us things specifically, Lord, that we need and things that are applicable to our lives that we could implement and we could act upon. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'd move in this place. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This chapter, chapter 8, is a continuation from chapter 7. This was a message that Jeremiah was preaching at the gate of the temple. Remember, we talked about that the last few weeks. You see, these are not a heathen, wicked, godless people that Jeremiah is preaching to. 
I think about the, the story in the book of Jonah. Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached to a wicked, godless, heathen people and he preached for them to repent and they repented. I think about Noah. Noah was preaching to people and the Bible says that every imagination of the heart was only evil continually. And Noah was preaching and these people were wicked. They would not respond. As you know, the only people that got on the ark were Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. And I would like to say this, I'm glad that Noah's family got on the ark. I'm glad that there was somebody that said, hey, we believe what he's preaching and we're going to do what God has said. But Noah preached to a very wicked people. Jeremiah, on the other hand, is preaching to people that should have known better. He's preaching to people that knew God, people that had the word of God, people that were actually coming to the temple and trying to give the appearance that they were coming to worship God, but in their heart, they were backslidden. This book of Jeremiah is a few historical accounts, but much of the book is a compilation of sermons that Jeremiah preached to the children of Judah who were backslidden and away from God. How sad it is that these were people who hardened their heart to the things of God. These were people that used to love God, but they no longer did. They used to serve God. They used to worship God, but now, not only have they stopped worshiping God, but now they've gone so far that they're worshiping false gods and worshiping idols. I'll remind us tonight, the Bible is very clear that no man can serve two masters. It's not possible. You can't worship God and you can't worship somebody else at the same time. It's one or the other. It's, it, it, it's, you're either on or you're off, you're hot or cold, but there's no in-between. There's no straddling the fence when it comes to worshiping God, because our God, the Bible says, is a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory with anybody else. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Elijah said to the people, how long halt ye between two opinions? If God be God, then follow him. If Baal be God, then you follow him. But you got to make up your mind. Verse number one, the Bible says, at that time, this is the time of judgment. This is the time when the Babylonians would invade Jerusalem and it was future. But it's interesting because when God makes a prediction, you can treat it as if it's already happened because God knows the beginning from the end. And Jeremiah is prophesying. He said, judgment's coming. And at that time, verse number one, they shall bring out the bones. Now, this is so it's hard for us to even fathom. But in Bible times, when an enemy would invade, many times they would desecrate the graves for several reasons. One reason is many times there would be treasures buried in those sepulchers. Uh, for instance, um, there is a historian by the name of Josephus. He was a, a, an expert Jewish historian. And he said that in the tomb of David, Solomon had stored uh, much treasure in one of those, uh, uh, one of those uh, compartments. And during the time of about 150 B.C., 
that was taken out. It was a, an emergency there in Judah, and it was an emergency for God's people, and they needed those treasures. They took them out, but they were there for hundreds of years. And the enemy would come, and they'd like to pull out those treasures. They'd like to uh, raid the graves, and they'd like to accumulate the wealth that had been stored there. But there's another reason. The second reason was they wanted to make a statement to anybody who was still alive that we don't care who you are, we don't care who you think you are, we will not only kill, but we will desecrate, we will uh, uh, disgrace, we will completely ruin, we will completely ravage, we will completely destroy every memory that is left of your loved ones, of your legacy, of your kings. And notice what it says in verse 1. They were taking out the bones of kings, princes, priests, prophets, inhabitants of Jerusalem. These bones were pulled out to dishonor the dead. These bones were pulled out, although it was impossible to hurt someone that was dead, it made a very vivid statement and a very vivid warning to those who were still living. These bones were spread out, the Bible says, and this is no accident. Verse 2, they would be spread out before the sun and the moon and the host of heaven. You say, well, of course, if the bones are laid out on the ground, of course they're uh, under the sun and under the moon and under the stars, but there's more to it. Notice what it says in verse 2, whom they have loved and whom they have served and whom they have after whom they've walked and whom they've sought and whom they've worshiped. The Bible tells us that God's people were worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars. And now the enemy is invading and guess what? Those gods could do nothing to deliver them. Those gods that they had been worshiping, those gods that they had been serving were helpless against the enemy that had come against Judah. There was no accident that God allowed that to happen. God wanted his people to be on notice that the false gods could not deliver in time of trouble. I'd like to give you a couple thoughts here from Jeremiah 8 as we go. Number one, I'd like to say this. We find in these first two verses, we actually find a pattern for how God wants us to treat him. Would you notice what it says in verse 2? It says they loved, they served, they walked after, they sought, and they worshiped. Five things. But you know what the problem was? They were doing those things not for God. They were doing those things for someone or something other than God. That doesn't work. It'd be like saying um, you get a call from the, uh, the power company, and Dominion Power calls you, and they says, we have not received your payments for the last three months. And you say, oh no, I have sent payments the last three months. And they say, well, we don't have them. And you say, well, I'm sorry, but I have sent payments for the last three months. And they, and they say, well, we haven't got them. He said, oh, well, that's because I sent them to the sanitary district. Well, it doesn't, you can't pay the bills to somebody else. You gotta pay them to the person to whom they're due. And can I tell you who's due and who's worthy of our service and worthy of our love? It's not the false gods, it's not the sports, it's not the hobbies, it's not the almighty dollar, it's not your job, it's not a, a sports personality. 
The person who is due our love and our worship and our praise is the almighty God, Jehovah, and he should be loved. He should be served. We should follow him. We should seek him. We should worship him. And how, how sad it is that they had it right, but they were doing it for the wrong person. That was the way they should have been treating God, but instead they were doing that for their false gods. The Bible says in verse number three, and death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain. Things would be so bad in Judah that they would choose, if they could, they would choose to die instead of live. Now, let me make a parenthetical statement and say this, that is not a choice that you or I get. We don't get to make the choice on when we die. The Bible says it's already appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Can I say this to uh, the cream of the crop here tonight and to those who may be listening by way of the internet? Suicide is never the answer. Under no circumstances, suicide is never the answer. That's not the choice that you or I get to make. God is the one who's in control of life. God is the giver of breath. And so many times people get in a bad situation, they think, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to end it all. Can I tell you, it doesn't make it better. And for those who are left and for those that grieve and for the questions and for uh, all the people that are, are trying to figure out what if I would have said this or what if I would have done this or what if I wouldn't have done this, that is never the answer. God's people were in a situation where they would rather die than live. Shows how bad things got. Notice verse number four. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return? Now, this sounds obvious. Jeremiah is asking the people, and he's saying, Now listen, if somebody falls down, wouldn't it make sense that they get up? I mean, wouldn't you do that? I mean, unless you're not physically able, you know, unless it's the, the, old, uh, the old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? And sometimes that may be the case. But if you're able to get up, you're not going to stay down forever. You're going to get back up. That's obvious. It says if somebody turns away, will they not turn back? If you're driving down the road and you make a wrong turn, anybody ever done that? Oh, my, hallelujah, isn't that a wonderful thing? Especially when you're in traffic. Especially when you're in, you know, like the, the big, big, big city of Rocky Mount. I mean, uh, Raleigh. You're in the big city, or maybe you're in Washington, D.C. or New York, and you think, I don't know how I could ever get back on the road I'm supposed to be on. But you do everything you can to get back on. You don't just keep going the wrong way. So Jeremiah says, well, of course, if you fall down, you get up. If you make a wrong turn, you get back. But then he asked this question. Why then, verse 5, is this people slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? Here's what he's asking. He's saying, if you fall down and you get back up or you make a wrong turn and you get back on the right course, then why have you, the people of God, why have you gotten away from God and you haven't gotten right? Why have you fallen down, so to speak, spiritually, and you haven't gotten back up and gotten back on track? He says, why are you slidden back by a perpetual? That word perpetual, it means permanent. 
Why are you backsliding over and over and you keep on doing it? Number one, we said God wants to be treated a certain way. But secondly, I'll just say this, some, just some, some thoughts from Jeremiah 8. Why wouldn't you want to get right with God? I mean, think about it. If you're here tonight and God created you, God gave you life, God gave you breath, God's given you everything good you have is all because of him. He sent his son to die for you. You have eternal life. You have salvation. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have a Bible. You have a church to come to. Why would you not want to get right with God? Why would I not want to get right with God? I'll tell you this, you'll never be happy in the Christian life until you get right with God. Oh, you'll be miserable. You, you won't enjoy, you won't enjoy a, a backslidden life. You won't enjoy being out in sin. You won't enjoy being the prodigal. You know where joy comes? Comes when you get right with God. Why wouldn't you want to get right? Why, Jeremiah says, is this people turned back? It says in verse 6, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Can I tell you, if you're here tonight and maybe your sin, maybe it's something that people would consider big. Uh, the truth is, uh, sin is sin in the eyes of God. Maybe it's something that only you know about. Maybe it's something in your heart. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's uh, just some, uh, some jealousy. Maybe there's uh, uh, some, some, some discord that you've sown and nobody really knows about it except for a few. Can I tell you, why wouldn't you just want to get right? Why wouldn't I just want to get right with God and have that relationship restored? The Bible says they would not repent of their wickedness. They just wouldn't admit what they had done says in verse 7, The stork in heaven knoweth her appointed times, the turtle dove, the crane, the swallow, these birds, they know where to go, and they know when to go, and they know how to get there. They can figure it out. But verse 7 says, But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. I don't know if people still do this. I, I don't think it's probably nice to do, but used to hear people call people bird brains. I don't know if that's because birds have small brains or why. But I wouldn't want a bird to be smarter than I am. I wouldn't want a bird to have it figured out better than I do. But birds know where to go. Birds know what to do. Birds know the right thing. But for us as God's people, we ought to know the judgment. We ought to know the ways of the Lord. We ought to know the word of God. Verse 8, how do ye say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Verse number 8, lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. Verse number 8, they had the law. They had the word of God. They had the answer. But can I tell you, they didn't look to the Bible for their wisdom. They looked to themselves. They thought they knew best. You ever known someone like that, maybe at work or maybe it was a child or something like that, and you're watching them and you're thinking, I wish they'd listen. That's not going to work. That's not going to be good. I tried to tell them they wouldn't listen, and so they're going to have to learn the hard way. Can I tell you, as God's people, we shouldn't have to learn the hard way. 
We've got the word of God. We've got the roadmap. We've got the example of those who've gone before us. The Bible tells us of, of itself that this book can make wise the simple. Well, we are so simple and we are honestly, we're ignorant and foolish without the word of God. But this book gives us wisdom. This book, the Bible, is a, a, a light unto our path. It's a, a, the, the way that we can go. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Very foolish to live without God. It's very foolish to live without the word of God. The Bible warns us, be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. But here's the problem. So many people, verse number nine, it says the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Here's the problem. We think the law applies to everybody else, but not me. We think we're going to be the exception because we get good at justifying our sin, do we not? Well, I may be doing this, but that is nothing compared to what so-and-so is doing. And I may be saying this, or I may be going here, or I may be doing this, but I'll tell you, that's a whole lot better than what they're doing over there. And boy, we've got it all figured out, don't we? Sometimes that happens at work, or maybe at school, or maybe in sports, and people will start to slack off because they're comparing themselves with somebody else. Friend, I got news for you. None of us get to set the standard. God's the one who sets the standard. And God's the one that makes the rules. And you're not the exception. I'm not the exception. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. The Bible is still true. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Doesn't matter who you are. We think we're the exception. I'll give you just a few examples. And these are just a few basic examples, but maybe some of these, will, maybe they'll get you thinking. Sometimes we think, I'm such a good Christian, and we wouldn't verbalize it, but we act like that. I'm such a good Christian that I don't need to read the Bible. I, I know I've got it, been there, done that. I've taught it. I've preached it. I've memorized it. I don't need to read the Bible. I've got news for you. You're not the exception, and neither am I. We must read the Bible as God's people. If you don't read the Bible, you'll starve to death spiritually. Uh, here's one. I don't need to pray. Everything's going good in my... Now, we wouldn't say... We would never in a million years dream of saying that, but sometimes we live that way, don't we? And you know what that says when we don't pray? It says we are full of pride. We think we don't need God. We think we've got it covered. We think we've got it all figured out. We think that we're going to be able to get the answer ourselves. We are not the exception. We must pray. We must walk with God. Here's one. I don't have to go to church. Here's one. I've heard that before. I've heard that Sunday school lesson before. I've heard that sermon before. I've been going to church my whole life. I've never heard anything new. Well, I'll tell you this, you're not the exception, neither am I. 
We need the house of God. I shared with our workers on Sunday night, many of you were in there, but I shared with our workers, it's dangerous for workers if we are always serving and always working and being in different ministries, but we are never in the service receiving the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. It's very dangerous. I've seen over the years, and probably you have too, you won't make it spiritually if you are not in the church. You say, well, I was at church. There's a difference between being at church and being in church. And we need church. It's God's plan. It's, it's how we receive the, 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 the food and the nourishment and the encouragement. And the Holy Spirit speaks through the preaching of the Word of God. Here's one. And again, I've not heard anybody ever say this. But I know it's true. You say, well, how do you know it's true? Because if this were not true, we wouldn't be supporting 84 missionaries we'd be supporting 500 missionaries. If this were true, we would be saying, we've got more money coming in than we know what to do with. Now, you say, I've never heard that in a Baptist church. Neither have I. But you know why? It's because in every church, there are people who do not tithe. Ah, every church, I promise you. There are people that do not give. And I'll tell you this, I believe it's a command from God that every Christian tithe. I just believe that. And I'll show you in the Bible. You say, well, you know, in the New Testament, they didn't tithe. You're right. They gave a whole lot more than 10%. Kind of makes the tithe sound better, doesn't it, when you read the New Testament? But I'll tell you this. Some people say, I don't have to give. I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to tithe. I don't have to do that. Well, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't want to be in that position because you can do more with 90% and tithing and, obe and obedience to God than you could ever do with 100% in disobedience to God, I'll guarantee you. Here's one. Nobody would ever say this, but sometimes people will act this way. I don't have to be faithful to my wife. I don't have to be faithful to my husband. I can get away with it. I can slip around. I can do this. It, 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 won't, it won't affect me. I'll tell you. You're not the exception, and neither am I. I don't have to teach my children. I'll let the church do that. I'll let the school do that. I'll let the Sunday school teacher. I'll let the, no, no. You and I have a responsibility. We as parents are responsible to teach and instruct our children in the way of the Lord. And when we stand before God, we will give an account for how we taught and how we instructed and how we brought up our children. We could go on and on. I don't have to avoid sin. I can, I can drink a little. I can dabble in drugs. I can get involved in gambling. I can, I can be immoral. I, I, it won't bother me, that, that preacher and those people at the church. They're so old-fashioned. They're so strict. They, they don't know anything. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The pastor may not know a whole lot, but the Bible sure does know a whole lot. And this book is true, and whether you like it or not, or you agree with it or not, doesn't change the fact that God's word is true. I can hold a grudge. I can be critical. I can fill in the blank. No, you can't, because you are not the exception. You and I must live according to God's law. Notice verse number 11. It says that they were God's people. They were in denial. It says, for they have healed 
or attempted to heal the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, here's what they were saying. Jeremiah said, the Babylonians are coming. Judgment is coming. Destruction is coming. This city's going to be destroyed. You're going to be taken captive. Uh, they're going to pull the bones out of the graves. It's going to be awful. And here's what God's people were saying. Peace. Peace. Oh, they, they had themselves convinced. They were trying to convince each other, hey, it's going to be all right. You don't have to worry. You don't have to get all worked up because of this prophet Jeremiah and all that doomsday stuff. It'll be all right. There, there'll be peace. I'll tell you this. When we think that we can have and attain peace without God, we are very sadly mistaken. If we think that we can have peace from our own efforts, we will be sadly mistaken because only God can give you peace. Only living for God and living according to God's word can we experience true, genuine peace. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 26? Isaiah 26. I had never seen this before. I was preparing for this past Monday for the funeral service, and I was, I was studying this passage, and I've preached from this passage, but I never saw it like I saw it this last week. It says in Isaiah 26, are you there looking at that verse? Can you see that? Isaiah 26, verse number 3. The Bible says, would you read verse number 3 with me? Ready, begin. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Let's read verse 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now here's the thing I had never seen. Uh, Pastor Brown, you've probably seen it. Um, Brother Dan's in here. He's probably seen it. Some of you Sunday school teachers, you've probably seen it before. And um, I'll just, I'll demonstrate my ignorance by telling you that I had not seen this before. It says in verse 3, thou wilt keep him in what kind of peace? Perfect peace. So, I looked up the word perfect. I know what the word perfect means, and in Scripture, it's talking about being a complete or being thorough. But I looked up that word perfect, and that word perfect is actually the word shalom. So I thought, wait, I'm looking at the wrong word. So then I went and I looked up peace. Well, guess what peace means? Or it, the word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. And so there's peace times two. It's repeated. And now I'll tell you this, it's very interesting because throughout Scripture, many times God's people, the Bible quotes them as saying, Peace, peace, when there was no peace, when there was not peace with God, when there was not peace in their land, they were trying to convince themselves. And can I tell you, you, you can have a pep talk with yourself. You can look in the mirror every morning and you can try to convince yourself, but I've got news for you. You will not and I will not experience peace apart from God and apart from his word. There's no peace in your life. There's no peace in your marriage. There's no peace at work. There's no peace in any relationship 
if you don't have the peace that comes from God. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And only God can give it to you. A friend can't give it to you. A job can't give it to you. A hobby can't give it to you. A bank account can't give it to you. Only God can give that peace. But notice what it says in verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Not only can God give you that peace, but he can ensure that you keep that peace every day of your life. Everywhere you go, every situation in life, thou wilt keep him. Now, do you think God is able to keep something? You give something to somebody else, they might lose it. You give something to somebody else, they might destroy it. They might misplace it. But when God's got something protected, I want to tell you it's in good hands. And thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Peace, peace. Notice what it says. Whose mind is stayed on thee. That peace that passes all understanding. That perfect peace comes when our mind is fixed on God. When our mind is saturated with the word of God. Because he trusteth in thee. When we trust in God, when we depend upon God, we find peace. I'll tell you, this world is searching for peace. This world is looking everywhere to try to find some kind of peace. I, was, I, I saw an ad the other day with some, some athlete. And an athlete that's very, very successful. If I, if I told you the name of the athlete, immediately you'd recognize it even if you're not into sports. But this athlete was advertising a product. I don't even know what the product is, so I'm not going to tell you what it was um, because I'm not endorsing that product for sure. But here's what this athlete said. This product, this product will help your mind. This product will allow you to relax this product, and it wasn't drugs or anything like that, but this product will help you to focus. This product will help you to filter out negativity and help you to block out noise. And I mean, and, and he, was, he wasn't kidding. He said, this is the product you need. And, you know, you can get it for, you know, three easy payments of whatever, I don't know. But I got something better for you tonight. This book right here will give you peace. This book right here will calm your mind. This book will relieve your fears. This book will help you in your relationships. This book will help you with your children. This book will help you at the workplace. This book has the answer for every problem you will ever face. And this book is the source of our peace. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.